Two for five o'clock. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Looks like everybody's ready for dinner. Spiritual food, of course. Well, let's start with the age-old question, the time-worn question of why are we here? I guess we can thank Wynn for the invitation and for the Holy Spirit moving in him and the rest of us for being here. But there are reasons why we are here. For one thing, it is the Sabbath. You know, we have a custom of keeping the Sabbath, don't we? In the book of Hebrews, and I want to get there because I know you must be getting a little bit anxious to go eat somewhere, perhaps. But I assure you that uh, once you wake up from your nap in here, you'll wake up refreshed. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, we read this in verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So we need to spur one another toward love and good deeds that will please and glorify our Father in heaven. Not forsaking, in verse 25, the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We know from the prophecies of Matthew 24 and elsewhere that there is going to come a time of tribulation and a day of coming judgment as uh, spoken of in the book of Revelation. And those things may be a long way down the road, but then again, they could be even at our door. So we are to watch and we are to pray. There are many people, of course, some of them friends, some of them neighbors down the street, some are strangers, some are family members who are undergoing various trials and tests at this time. There are stresses in their life. Some are having to deal with depression. Some are having anxiety. Some are having disappointments. And some are experiencing loss of family members. And we uh, have been, you know, about the breaking news about the missing Malaysian airliner and we've heard about the all of the young people that have uh, met most of them a tragic end with the sinking of that ship a lot of things that are going on it is a troubling world I've heard it said that temptations and trials come along at this time of year this time in spring when we should feel exhilaration when we should feel joy uh, you know coming out of the bleakness of winter you know, being, uh, being uh, shut in. It seems that there are a lot of adverse things that happen to us that want to interfere and, and take everything that we might feel as far as joy is away. I read online last night that April is the cruelest month of the year because more people get depressed in the spring. They have more anxieties in the spring and, and it gave many reasons and studies and some of it has to do with weather change some of it has to do with hormones some of it nostalgia because at this time of year you know there are a lot of uh, graduations uh, teenagers who are now going to go off on their own and we have memories of those things and so there are some things that cause us to have a little bit of uh, bittersweetness about this time of year we know that the time change can also have an effect on us because it takes a little bit of getting used to. You set your clock up or you set it back 
and it interferes a little bit with our, with our biorhythms. We, uh, it alters our mood. We also know that there are things in the environment that have an effect on our mood. There are things like chemicals, there are things like toxins, and there are things like the electromagnetic uh, frequencies that bombard us invisibly every moment of our life. From school, we learned the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And we know that these are, are a basic and important part of our, of our life. We probably didn't read spelling, though. <laughs> but what this uh, split sermon is about are three words that are familiar, that we are familiar with. And these words are repentance, redemption, and restoration. Just one of these words, of course, can involve a, a, a long sermon. There are topics on their own, but we're going to look briefly. And as I like to say, no matter how long it takes, we're going to look briefly at these three words and then tie them together into one other important word as to why we're here and for our purpose and being. As we near the end of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, there are certain things that these days have taught us or reminded us of. And we know that we are to put them into our life. We are to put them into our hearts and our minds so that we can transfer them to our everyday life. Before going to the Lord's Supper, for example, the Apostle Paul said for us to examine ourselves. You know, make a spiritual search and inquire about that person that we see in the mirror, that changing person that we see in the mirror. So we do this to make sure that our lives are turned around in the right direction, that we have, that we have things that we have to overcome throughout the coming year. So physically then we seek to deliver our homes, making a diligent search every square foot of our dwelling to make sure that we've found every breadcrumb and just to cast it out. It's a physical chore and that shows, but it shows our willingness to be obedient to our Lord and Savior. Now this practice of ritual uh, spring cleaning reminds us year to year that we should be just as willing in, and diligent in casting out sin. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12 we see these words in verse 1, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. I forgot to wind up my clock. <laughs> Time change. It's 2 a.m. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, once again, there, uh, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. This race is like a marathon with the aim to do the best we can with the help of Christ along the way so that we can endure and just finish the race. When you see a marathon race, you know that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of people ready to go. 
only a few will probably get you know the the uh, money that they offer as the reward but for most of them it's just to be in the race and finish the race that's the way we are so entering this race takes laying aside the things that could slow us down you know uh, a runner will you know uh, take off what all, all except the bare necessities so that he can streamline himself uh, verse 2 looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith that's who we look to who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross there at the stake you know where he bore severe pain and, and suffering unto death despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God we know that even along this way, this, this race that we're, we are in, there are others on this same course trying to do the best they can just as we are. In verse 14, it says that we should follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So we have to be humble along the way. And as I've heard someone say, be humble or stumble. Verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now there was a woman a long time ago in the church who was, she was paid a visit by a couple of ministers, and this was uh, during the days of unleavened bread. And I heard this story back in 1972. And as she welcomed them and, and talked to them, she wanted to show them something special that she had that she was proud of and excited about. So she goes over to uh, the freezer. She opens it, and there's a box in there. And she takes the box out and, and opens it. And there is a beautiful piece of her wedding cake. She had saved that from her marriage many years ago. Now she, you know, she was keeping the days of unleavened bread, but you can imagine the surprise of these wide-eyed ministers who, who saw this, and one of them said, well, dear lady, looks like you didn't get all your leavening out. So you can imagine her surprise when after all of those years, she finds something that she overlooked and never saw to get rid of. So in all of our deleavening, in all of our searching for, you know, the breadcrumbs, one of the things that we are made aware of is that we can't always get the physical leaven from our homes or be completely free of it. It's not 100%, at least in my case. I don't know about you, but it teaches us why we need Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. Because deep down, we know we need Jesus Christ and to seek him and to please him and do those things that bring honor and glory to him as he helps us along in this life. At one time or another, you know, as we go along, we may discover a breadcrumb in our pocket or a unwrapped cracker somewhere on our body or maybe a, a, a bun wrapped up in a napkin at the back of our desk drawer. I speak from experience. <laughs> so, no matter how righteous or imperfect we feel about ourselves, we come to the conclusion that we need Jesus Christ. We need Jesus Christ to bear our weaknesses and, and to forgive the sins that we see and do not see. So, 
by partaking of the bread and wine that uh, we took last week, uh, we are then assured that he is in us and we are in him. And with his help, we cast out leaven. So as long as we continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, partaking of his word and remembering his sacrifice for us, we are in the process of being deleavened. He laid down his life for you. He laid down his life for me. And he says we are his friends if we do whatsoever he commands. And we know in uh, Matthew 19, 17, he said, if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. And we know that we are not perfect in doing so. In Psalm 121, and in verse, verses 1, or verse 1 and then 2, it says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. And here on the earth is a place called Mount Sinai. And from there came the law of God on tablets of stone, and by it the knowledge of sin, for which the wages of is death, when we transgress them and do not repent. So let's look at this word repentance. Repentance. It's one of the things that brings us here. We all have our own story about what moved us to repentance. And for some, repentance was a very emotional experience in our life. Feeling deeply sorrowful for the sins and the wrongs that we um, may have done. For some, it may have been an intellectual experience as well. In that they found out that Sunday, for example, is not the Sabbath. But that Saturday is the seventh day. And then made heartfelt repentance for following man and uh, not God. But God's way made sense when the truth of, uh, about things came to their understanding. In my preteen days, a very long time ago, at vacation Bible school one year, the teacher was telling us about hell. She was telling us about how hot hell is going to be. And we listened intently and she gave the example of a, of a, she said, imagine this hot nail and it's pressed, pressed up against your skin. Imagine that hot nail, how hot it is, but how hot it would be if that same kind of feeling were all over your bodies. So she put the fear into us. And of course we know that's not the truth. That's not the way hell is gonna be. But a number of us were later baptized that week in a pond in a field behind the church. <laughs> Sometimes we need to know that there are consequences to sin, that there are consequences that, that we need to be afraid of. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. We know that the world at large is just not willing or not ready to repent and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. But we know that if we confess our sins, that God is just to forgive us. In verse 3, it says that the ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. 
But Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Ah, sinful nation, said Isaiah, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger, and they are gone away backward. In Isaiah 64, verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might flow down at your presence. And when the melting fire burneth, the fire causes the water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries. And sometimes we see that is the only solution to get mankind's attention, that they are going the wrong way. And so we pray. We want the kingdom of God to come. But someday God, in his own, according to his own time schedule, he will come and make known his name, his power, his authority to the sinning people. And that will be with you know, devastating fire and heat like that from a volcano that you see sometimes as it rolls down the mountain and, and just boils up into the sea. So we see in verse 3, when you did terrible things which we look for, which we look not for, uh, you came down the mountains, flowed down at your presence. So we see that God's wrath was awesome and more than imagined, more than expected as we can look back to the miracles that were done in Egypt and to Sodom and Gomorrah and before the flood. So when we look at the world today, our society and all of its problems, all of its sins, we find ourselves nevertheless in the midst of all of that. And we too suffer the consequences. Verse 7, uh, here's the problem. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and made us waste because of our sins. Yet, in verse 8, yet, O Lord, you are our Father. When uh, having that awareness that he is our Father makes him more real to us. So that we can, you know, go, boldly go before his throne to ask his help and his guidance as we go through this world that has so much leaven. We are the clay, you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people and he is our Father. So this saving activity that we read about is manifested through the saving activity of Jesus Christ. It's an ongoing process. It's like we are being shaped on that potter's wheel into uh, a usable form. We're all different in, in many ways. Repentance is what got us here. It's what got us to this point. And repentance is a divine calling. You realize that you have a divine calling. Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 from that time Jesus began to preach and, say, and to say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus he, as he's walking by the uh, Sea of Galilee he saw two brethren Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea for they were fishers. And he said unto them 
follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets, right away left their nets and followed him. So we see that this divine calling, when we know that it is deep, a deep calling for us, repentance means giving up something, it, and oftentimes a whole lot. And for these two brothers, it meant giving up a business, a livelihood, a, uh, all to follow Jesus Christ and become fishers of men. Repentance also means that we are the recipients of mercy. In Matthew chapter 9, Verse 10, it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. This is when he called uh, uh, Matthew. Now these publicans were tax collectors and they had a job to do and, and the people hated them. And they were seen as sinners. In verse 11, when the Pharisees, and these were the pious people, the religious uh, strict authority of the day, when they saw it, they said unto his disciples, why? eateth your master with publicans and sinners. And when Jesus heard that, <clears throat> he, he said unto them, they that be whole don't need a physician, but they that are sick. But go you and learn what this uh, means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Go and learn what that means, he told the Pharisees how true that is. Only when we experience some physical or spiritual pain that we can really and truly appreciate what mercy and forgiveness is when we come to repentance. And Christ had called Matthew to repentance, to follow him and to show to others that even this publican tax collector, this one who would be considered a sinner also could be forgiven. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, Verse 9, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revelers, extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed. We are washed, I am washed, and you are sanctified, but you are, and are justified in the name of or in the honor of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So repentance is for all who will turn from their ways. And we have this assurance in Ezekiel 18 in verse 21, but if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he has committed and keep my, all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live and he shall not die. All his transgressions that he has committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. So repentance is one of the reasons that we are here today. And we learn from these days of unleavened bread that it is Christ's desire to have mercy upon us. And seeing our desire to, uh, to be committed to casting out leaven. We've been called to follow him. As mentioned earlier, uh, repentance is a divine calling by the Father unto the Son. Because, you know, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No matter how deep our sins, and, and though your sins be as scarlet, as it says, they shall be white as snow. I read somewhere 
that someone uh, gave this quote. He said that the more we are aware of our sins, the greater our joy in God's forgiveness. In him, we know that there is grace, that there is pardon, and we have been redeemed by his life-giving blood. Let's look at this word redemption. Redemption. We can look at Mount Calvary as a mount of redemption where the blood of the Lamb cleansed us from all sins and we have redemption to God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Redemption is based on the Hebrew practice of buying back property such as land or, or someone who is in bondage as a slave. So when we refer to redemption, we are referring to the saving activity of God as manifested in the work of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Bible tells us He is our Redeemer. He is our personal Redeemer. And that's uh, why we should look at it in that way, that He is our personal Redeemer. He laid down His life for you, His friends, and He calls us His friends if we do whatsoever He commands us. He knows, God knows every hair, every hair on your head. He knows every bo uh, bone in your body. He knows every thought in your mind. And Christ came to give his life as a ransom for many. In the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 1 verse 3, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. So he gives us room for repentance. And we also see that this grace and this peace is extended to us from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we could take this all personally when he says to us, grace and peace. We know sin is the transgression of the law. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Curses everyone that hangeth on a tree. So we are redeemed, are redeemed to the Father whose purpose from the day he created mankind was to bring many sons into glory. But due to the temptation of the evil one and all kinds of sins have befallen man, yet Christ was sent to redeem man, to make a way by their repentance and pull them out of this present uh, evil age. So we've been redeemed, we've been rescued, saved, if you will, from the bondage of sin, not to go back into the world, but to come out of the world and its wrong ways. And we, we are freed from sin. As we heard in the first message, we are freed. Ephesians 1, verse 3, So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Those redeemed in this age are the first fruits, and, but he has predestined all of mankind to become born again into a spirit being as his children. As he said at the beginning, let us create man in our image 
That's his purpose, and that purpose has not, uh, he has not given up on it. To the praise in verse 6 of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. 1 Corinthians 6, to be aware of in verse 19, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. 1 Corinthians 7, once again, you're bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men, but let every man, brethren, wherein he is called, therein abide with God. We know redemption to be synonymous with rescue and, and ransom. It means being delivered, being set free from the bondage of sin and death, or saved, if you will. And we know that, you know, there are many who think that once you're saved, you're always saved, but we know that notion is tempered by the words of Christ who said that he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now we know that our struggles and tests are spiritual. In this life you shall have tribulation, said Christ, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That's because we are in Christ's hand and we have his example and his promises to look to. And you know that once we decided to go into the waters of baptism, to begin to believe in God and in Jesus Christ, to repent of our sins and, and to receive the Holy Spirit, that we have been issued some battle gear for spiritual warfare. We, we see those in Ephesians 6 as the armor of God, which I won't turn to, but instead, Let's go to 1 Peter 1, in verse 22. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God which lives and abides forever. So as a new creature, we are to walk in newness of life. I remember a long time ago when I joined the football team, my high school, actually even uh, uh, earlier, I just couldn't wait to be issued uh, a uniform. You know, you get the helmet, you get the shoulder pads, you get the hip pads, the knee pads, the thigh pads, and all sorts of pads, and, and you become a part of the team, and you just can't wait to get out there on, on the field. We have been issued a spiritual armor of God, like the helmet of salvation. But we know that all flesh, in verse 24, is as grass, and all the glory of man as a flower of grass. The grass withers, we know that, and the flower thereof falls away. But the word of the eternal endures forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Job said, he said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And that's why we, we're here. We know that our Redeemer lives and he has redeemed us and we shall see him when he comes to the Mount of Olives in an act of restoration. So this next word is about restoration, the third R. This word 
means a returning of something to a former condition. You know, at this time of year, people get into the mood of spring cleaning, birds are out singing, the leaves are starting to bud out, birds are building nests, people planting flowers, restoring lawn. There's this freshness in the air, but I know unfortunately there is also pollen, allergens that, that cause hay, hay fever and, and the like. But spring mo makes most people feel good and in, in the mood to start restoring the things around them, to feel revitalized. We also look for restoration, a refreshing. Today we know is a Sabbath. It's prophetic of the coming kingdom of God when there will be a restoring of righteousness and peace and life, a coming rest. And the Passover season is the starting point in that direction. And then as we go into the, into the other holy days that are to come, we are reminded over and over again of a lot of spiritual things that we are to take into our minds and into our hearts so that they can become a part of our life. You know, we can, uh, this third R here, is, you know, I've decided to use the word restoration, but we can put a lot of other uh, things in there like uh, res uh, resurrection and revival, all of those things. But as we see the uh, day coming, getting closer, we know that there shall be great tribulation before the return of Jesus Christ because, you know, we are engaged in a conflict with the rulers of darkness, according to Ephesians. But we are to be the light of the world, to, uh, to glorify God. We know that knowledge has increased. And we see also that man is just really not smart enough or prone to follow the right way. He can split the atom, but he can't be trusted with what with what he knows because in just a matter of hours the earth can be turned to a rubble because of sin and evil. There's a principle known as Bose Law. It says that there is a definite ratio of distance between the planets. A, a, it has a definite consistent pattern. Between Mars and Jupiter, however, astronomers, astronomers say that there should be another planet according to that law. Instead, there are many fragments, various sizes, some hundreds of miles across and some the size of a dime, all circling the sun, of, made out of rock and, and iron, where this planet should be. One can only conclude, as, as some have looked at this, that there was some giant, powerful devastation that happened in the past. And we know about the rebellion uh, of Satan and, and one-third of the angels. And today, we also know that there are weapons on earth that can destroy the earth hundreds of times over from the ravages of sin. We know that when this restoring comes, there will be uh, life, there will be many miracles, and as Christ's disciples, we too will have a part in that coming restoration. The blind will see. I won't have to wear these glasses that keep sliding down on my nose. The captives will be freed. The lame shall walk. But in Acts 3, we see that in verse 19, repent you, therefore, change, therefore, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the eternal. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, 
whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So before these days of unleavened bread, we, you know, we made search to deliver our homes. And these seven days without partaking of leaven symbolizes an honest desire to make a complete break from sin. Just as there are seven days of unleavened bread, you know that there are seven letters that are written to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Each one admonishing the church to look within themselves, to examine themselves, and to repent and overcome and hold on to their faith. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 tells us why Christ gave himself. It's he puts it this way in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's why we're here, to be restored in Christ Jesus. And all the more as we see the day coming, encouraging one another. Finally, in, in conclusion, our time is our life. In Psalm 90, verse 10, the days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. You know, it doesn't really change. Things, things are about the same whether you're 70 or 80. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? Even according to your fear, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26, you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Our time is our life. And like the sand and the hourglass and the bar of phrase we hear a lot, so are the days of our lives. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. For as long as we live, we are to cast out leaven. We are to cast out the works of the flesh overcoming evil with good, with the fruits of the Spirit and the implanted Word of God. And in that way, we, we come to understand Christ, who came and of who is spoken, that he came so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. When you replace and you start anew, you start over with the fruits of God's Spirit so that we can have life and have it more abundantly. The Sabbath today, it's a weekly reminder 
of a time that is yet to come, a rest that is yet to come. And in spite of all the difficulties that might hinder us, we strive to enter that, uh, that rest with Christ our aim and our help and to run with patience the course that is set before us. One more reference in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, that's carefully, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be you not unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So repentance, redemption, and restoration are the things that lead us in life. These are the, some of the things that have brought us here. We're here because of those things. And when we tie all of those three R's together, we come up with one word, and that is our salvation. <laughs>